Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa in Nairobi, Kenya and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we look at how FIFA's decision to play the 2021 Club World Cup in June and July could affect the Africa Cup of Nations and take us back to club versus country rows over the Nations Cup. Also, how African stars could have no time to rest in the off-season. Also on the show, I had a chance to visit a prison here in Harare and found out how football brings hope and inspiration to prisoners. In every prison, we have leagues. For example, here at Arara Central Prison, they have their own leagues. And uh, it's very interesting because some of the names of the teams here, uh, you find we have Barcelona here, we have Real Madrid here. That's coming later, plus a look at the English Premier League and the turbulent times at Arsenal. Well, the under-17 FIFA World Cup continues in Brazil. Last week, Ida said she hopes that we'll have an African team reaching the final, and it's shaping up really well in the group stage, as Nigeria, Angola and Senegal all won their first two games and are through to the round of 16. Uh, Tougher, though, for the African under-17 champions Cameroon, who are in a very difficult group. We'll continue to follow the fortunes of the African teams there in Brazil. And this weekend, the second legs of the playoff round of the CAF Confederation Cup. The winners going through to the group stage. Pyramids of Egypt won 2-1 away to young Africans of Tanzania in the first leg, so they're looking pretty good. Gorma here of Kenya were held to a 1-1 draw at home by DC Motema Pembe of DR Congo. So the Congolese are having the upper hand there. A very evenly poised between AS Kara of Togo and Enugu Rangers of Nigeria, with Akara having won the first leg 2-1 at home. So by the end of the weekend we'll know the identities of the 16 teams going through to the group stage of the CAF Confederation Cup. Well now to the hottest story of the week in African football. That's how FIFA's decision to play the 2021 Club World Cup in June and July could affect the Africa Cup of Nations and take us back to those club versus country rows around the Nations Cup. Now the inaugural edition of the expanded Club World Cup with 24 teams will be played in China between the 17th of June and the 4th of July 2021. And the Nations Cup dates are not set as yet, but the tournament is set to be played in Cameroon in June and July as its window. Now, while it could be played entirely in July, this would mean that African stars would then miss the European pre-season, potentially reigniting club versus country rows. Now, there is a possibility of a UEFA boycott, which might see the Club World Cup not taking off as intended, but uh, as it stands, we'd have players finishing uh, the European season in May, uh, then getting ready for the Club World Cup, then going to the Africa Cup of Nations, and then going straight into action, indeed missing pre-season and going straight into the start of the next season. Uh, This could affect the likes of Mohamed Salah and Sadio Mane, for example. Now, while they had very little rest this year with the Africa Cup of Nations coming in their off-season, this would be even more exhausting with two tournaments to play. Um, So where should we start here, Ida? Uh, Just a couple of years ago, CAF agreed to move the Nations Cup from January, February to June and July. And now we have this situation. Is FIFA lacking respect for the Nations Cup? We do have to go back to 2017, you know, when the CAF Exco sat down and decided to implement the sort of changes they did to the Nations Cup. And 
there were those who were opposed to it very strongly, you know, and they were saying that CAF, you know, in essence was pandering to FIFA, you know, that it was agreeing to be bullied around. But eventually what won the argument, Steve, was the fact that with the new changes, the row between club and country would eventually die down. And, you know, we had the 2019 Africa Cup of Nations. It was the first edition that included all the changes. And life moved on. But you see, that's the thing with bullies, Steve, that the minute you seed ground, they'll definitely want more. And if you ask me to answer your question, you know, is FIFA being disrespectful to African football? Absolutely, definitely so, you know. And uh, Togo coach Claude Leroy was actually one of the more notable personalities who were very, very vocal about their displeasure, you know, to do with the changes in the FIFA Club World Cup, potentially affecting the Africa Cup of Nations. And he did so in an interview uh, he did with the BBC that really did its rounds as well. But politics of football aside, Steve, what about the players? Because I feel like that's the most important stakeholder in all this. And, of course, Sadio Mane and uh, Mo Salah, the Liverpool duo, constantly being used as examples to highlight this particular issue. And I'll focus on money for a few seconds because just to take you through the, the last year and a half for the Senegalese, right? Took part in the 2018 World Cup. Immediately after Senegal were bundled out, flew to the US, took part in Liverpool's preseason International Champions Cup, went back to England, started the English Premier League new season then, Took part in the FA Cup, you know, all the sorts of tournaments that uh, go on in the domestic league uh, or the domestic season. And then took part in the Champions League, got all the way to the final, won it. Yeah. Barely a few weeks after that, was playing in the Africa Cup of Nations, got all the way to the final. And guess what? Barely two, three weeks later, he was in Liverpool's first game, first English Premier League game of the new season versus Norwich. This is a player who hasn't rested. And trust me, there will be more as the years go by. And I'd just really like to hear what Fifth Pro have to say about this. Because correct me if I'm wrong, Steve, but they've been very, very silent on the issue so far. Because physically, you just can't keep defying your body. And, you know, going back to the politics, you know, because that's the that's the huge issue coming out. The thing is, the African vote was so substantial, Steve in getting uh, Gianni Infantino to FIFA presidency. And, you know, in return, he talked about just how much he wanted to help the continent. But the reality, Steve, we do have to admit, is actually quite, quite different. Yes, so many questions and issues on this. And the Africa Cup of Nations is CAF's main revenue earner, so making it once every four years than once every two years to avoid clashing with the Club World Cup wouldn't really be an option. Um, and CAF is somewhat compromised in this, you could say, as uh, since August, CAF is being run by the FIFA Secretary-General Fatma Samura in this position that is known as General Delegate for Africa. Um, so CAF can't really expect to challenge FIFA on this, can they? It was a huge conflict of interest uh, for Fatma Samura, undeniably so. And now you see why so many people, including UEFA president Alexander Seferin, were really opposed to her coming in to, you know, assist, if you will, on uh, African football matters. And 
it just wasn't about the appointment. It was about all the situations similar to these that were sure to follow up that would pose huge scenarios of conflict of interest. Samora coming in was a direct indictment, Steve, of the CAF administration. And while it's always smiles and, you know, political correctness in front of the camera, there's definitely no hoodwinking Africans to the fact that all is not well in Cairo, you know. Pray tell, Steve, just how, how would Fatma Samora best represent Africa's football interests on the global front if her employer is the world governing body? Just how? But FIFA is very used to appointing the normalization committees, you know, to run different member associations that require help. But I must say, it's still a very unusual feeling for the world governing body to actually assist a confederation in a similar capacity. And at the end of the day, aside from Samora, what about the African members in the FIFA Council, Steve? Because I'd like to hear what they had to say. Was there any fight that was put up? And going back to what uh, Claude Leroy had to say, very, very powerful quote, you know, that since Africa is under the supervision of FIFA, then do you really think that Africa can have a real impact in decisions of world football? End of quote. Very, very powerful. But at the end of the day, it's a question that a lot of people have been asking. A lot of Africans have been asking, when will FIFA finally do something in Africa's favor? When, Steve? Yes, this one is tough and potentially damaging for the Africa Cup of Nations, which, of course, is African football showpiece. So I don't know how it will work out with the scheduling, also with the availability of players and with the physical well-being of the players, as you say there, who may well not get an off-season rest and break. Well, away from that controversy and on a brighter note, four-time African Footballer of the Year, Yaya Toure, is still going strong. And at the age of 36, the Ivorian has helped China League One side Qingdao Xunghai to earn promotion to the Super League next season. Uh, Toure played the whole game last Saturday as they beat Shanghai Shenzhen 2-0 to secure their place in the top flight for the first time. Uh, Ida, you have to admire Yaya Toure's passion and drive. Yaya Toure will forever remain one of the greatest, if you ask me. He should definitely have won the FIFA Ballon d'Or. But as you very well put it there, Steve, we are moving away from uh, the controversy, you know. <laughs> but it does show you, Toure's story does show you about the power of uh, not giving up because many thought that he was pretty much done and dusted, you know, when his move to Olympiacos in 2018 failed, but he just kept going, you know, and sometimes that's all one can really do. And remember that China had initially wanted to snap him up. That was in 2017. Well, back then, Steve, Toure definitely had some choice words for the sorts of players who were going to China for the money. But suffice it to say, I would imagine his stances since changed. But another very interesting angle to this story, Steve, is about the coach, the head coach at the Chinese club uh, where Toure plays, because um, his name is Juan Manuel Leo. And he is the man who is credited with inspiring Pep Guardiola's success. So what makes it so interesting is that Yaya Toure himself played under Pep Guardiola. That was at Barcelona and Manchester City. We know their relationship was very tumultuous, had very many ups and downs. But it just shows you how full circle 
life can really get. You know, the fact that Yaya Toure is now playing under the man who inspired Pep Guardiola, who coached him at Barcelona and Manchester City. I just found it very, very interesting. But uh, back to Toure and, you know, we saw something similar with the uh, Ivory Coast legend, Didier Drogba, who played in the United States till around 40 years old. You know, in the process, he scored well over 30 goals while at it in North America. And it's brilliant. It's a beautiful thing, Steve, to see these African legends still giving it their all. You know, the hunger is still there, and it's clearly all about the love of the game. Yes, such an inspiration to so many is the amazing Yaya Toure. Thanks, Ida. Still to come here on Planet Sport Football Africa, lots on the English Premier League as we look at the troubles at Arsenal. But now, football brings entertainment and fun to many. It brings hope and inspires many people. And that includes many who are in prison. Now, a few weeks ago, events were held to mark Africa Prisons and Correctional Services Day. And here in Harare, a team of prison inmates were let out of jail for the day to play a team of former players. I found out more about how football inspires many who are behind bars. Well, here at the historic Guanzura Stadium in hot sunshine and on a dusty pitch, we've got a team of prisoners playing a team of retired national team stars. There's a hundred or so inmates who've been allowed to watch the game. They're at the top of the stands, all dressed in white, and we've got thousands of fans out here supporting, and they are right behind the prisoners who, I've got to say, are giving a very good account of themselves. Well, I was given access to a prison and got a chance to speak to a couple of the players. So I'm inside a Harare Central Prison. We've been through a series of gates to get into the courtyard where the prisoners are gathered. Some of them are queuing up to get their food. Uh, some of them are playing a bit of music on guitars and uh, others going about their activities. Uh, so I'm with a Chief Correctional Officer Solomon Mutamba, who's the Zimbabwe Prisons and Correctional Services PR Officer for the Harare Metropolitan Province. So in terms of football, do you, what, what sort of programme do you have in the Zimbabwe prisons for those who want to play football? At every prison, we have leagues. For example, here at Arara Central Prison, they have their own leagues. And uh, it's very interesting because some of the names of the teams here, uh, you find we have Barcelona here, we have Real Madrid here, we have Dynamo Cups United here at, at, at prison. And uh, it's very competitive. Yeah, my name is Admire Wickstone. I get inside, I get, it's an assault. I beat my wife, so that's why I'm here. Yeah, that's like I'm going out next year on September. That's when I'm going out. But I'm a soccer player, I used to play soccer outside. I'm 24 years, so I still have the, I still need another chance to play soccer. I still have the dream to play soccer. Uh, football is like my, it's life. It's my life, you know, so I have to focus on playing soccer. You know, some of the guys I used to play with, some of the guys they're in big teams like now. Me, I'm inside. So I still have the push on. My name is Joram Suela. I committed a made offense at the age of 19. That was 1997. And I was arrested in 1998. I played for Chapungu. So most of the people who will be going out will be with 20 years. So I've reached 20 years so far. So anytime if the president just feel and have mercy for us, 
those who are serving life sentence who have got 20 years and above, we can go at any time. What lessons have you learnt? I've learnt a lot of lessons. And the biggest lesson which I've learned behind bars is that crime does not pay. Anything that you do, as long as there is crime inside what you have been doing in your life, it's part of wasting time because you'll end up being behind bars. A lot of people have found faith when they've been behind bars. Has that applied to you? Yes. It, outside, I was going to Methodist Church. But here it's only that we've got one church which they don't give us. That church is not being given a name because so we just go at one church. Uh, is it hard to, to believe when you're inside? Uh, it's not hard. It depends on who you are or what you want to be tomorrow. Because without God, uh, there is nothing you can do. You cannot conquer on anything. But because of Jesus Christ, you can conquer a lot of things. And you can have, you can be someone in life while at least you're outside. Even these tough conditions? Yeah. About my first 10 years, it was tough. But by the time they changed their rules here, it's now better. So you're 46, hopefully you'll be out in the next year or two. What are you dreaming of now for the years ahead? Yeah, for the years ahead, I'm dreaming as someone who loves soccer. I'm dreaming to become a coach, premiership coach. That's where my dream is. So there's been a brief taste of freedom for the inmates who've been playing and those who've been watching on and getting to enjoy music from some of Zimbabwe's top performers. And for many, football is helping them through their years behind bars. And there's hope for some that they can revive their careers when their time is done. Well, it really was quite an experience getting to meet those prisoners. And one lesson is that you'd want to make sure that you don't get yourself in trouble and end up behind bars. Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. You can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs too in our archive. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. Also, you can listen on our new look website. That's planetsport.tv. Our other shows are there too. That's Planet Sport and the Planet Sport Rugby podcast, plus interviews with various sports stars, including Christian Achu of Ghana and Patson Dhaka of Zambia. That's on our new look website, planetsport.tv. Now let's focus on the English Premier League. I'm joined by Stuart Weir from the UK, our European football expert. Uh, let's start with Arsenal because uh, last weekend we saw a few fans holding banners saying Emery out as we used to see banners that would say Arsene Wenger out. Uh, this was ahead of huge controversy in last Sunday's game against Crystal Palace. And not only did the Gunners blow a 2-0 lead to draw 2-2, but Captain Granit Xhaka had an angry confrontation with Arsenal fans when he was substituted. Uh, the fans booed him. Uh, Xhaka swore at them and removed his jersey. Now, Arsenal manager Unai Emery says that Xhaka should apologise. Uh, the club has offered to take him for counselling, but it's not clear yet whether Xhaka will be replaced as captain, Stuart. Very strange, Steve. And, of course, Xhaka was selected as captain of Arsenal by the players. The manager allowed them to choose their captain. And last weekend, he wasn't having a great game. He was substituted. And when his number went up, there were loud cheers from the Arsenal supporters, apparently delighted that he was going off. And he responded to this by gesticulating and allegedly swearing at the fans. He did 
greet his manager, but then immediately, as you say, took off his shirt and went straight to the changing room rather than sitting with the other substitutes to watch the rest of the game. Emery said in a TV interview afterwards that Xhaka was entirely wrong to behave as he had done, but he would deal with it in private. And there is speculation that he will lose the captaincy, but again, rumours coming out of the training ground is that they've all kissed and made up. Who knows how it will end? Steve, we said last year that Arsene Wenger would be a hard act to follow and that Emery would need time to put his stamp on the club. But there was an expectation that in his second season, we would see an improved Arsenal. But I read a statistical analysis of how Arsenal are playing and they're actually having less possession and making less passes than they did under Wenger. Defeat against Sheffield United, only managing a home draw with Crystal Palace and needing late goals to win a Europa League game really added up to quite a poor week for the club. And it's a situation perhaps a bit like Manchester United replacing Alex Ferguson, who had been there forever. And then they were very impatient with David Moyes, Louis van Gaal and Jose Mourinho. And Wenger was at Arsenal for 22 years, was extremely popular until his last few years, perhaps. And it just seems now that a significant number of Arsenal fans have already decided that Emery is not the right man for the club. But to to be fair to Arsenal, they would have won the game, but for a frankly quite ridiculous overrule by VAR. Socrates seemed to have scored the winning goal for Arsenal, shooting through a crowded penalty area. Three players tangled, and it seemed completely unclear what had happened, but the VAR official adamantly decided that Callum Chambers was the culprit and disallowed the goal. Now, I have watched the incident on television ten times, and I am no clearer as to what happened, and it most certainly was not a clear and obvious error. A poor intervention by VAR. To be fair, VAR had done well earlier in the game when referee Martin Atkinson showed a yellow card to Wilfred Zaha for diving, only to be overruled by VAR, who had seen quite clearly that Zaha had been fouled and awarded a penalty. Oh yes, VAR controversies every week and uh, more on the VAR in just a moment. But uh, on social media this week, asking for your thoughts on whether Arsenal need a new manager. In that 2-2 draw with Crystal Palace, a few fans were holding up banners saying Emery out, the same way that we used to see banners saying Wenger out before Unai Emery eventually replaced Arsene Wenger. Some fans are saying there's a lack of progress in Emery's second season. So if you're a Gunners fan, do you think that they need a new manager? You can go to our Facebook page, that's Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Now on Wednesday, Arsenal lost on penalties to Liverpool in an incredible EFL Cup fourth round match which ended 5-5. This weekend, Liverpool in the league with their six-point lead play away to Aston Villa. Manchester City hosts Southampton and then the two big guns meet at Anfield the following weekend. And contrasting fortunes in Liverpool and Man City's wins last weekend, Stuart. Yes, Manchester City had a comfortable 3-0 win over Aston Villa. And they will know quite a bit about this week's opponent, Southampton, having beaten them 3-1 in midweek in the League Cup. But, of course, there will be significant changes to personnel for both clubs between the League Cup and the League games. 
And don't forget that Southampton's last Premier League game was the one against Leicester City when playing with 10 men, they finished up losing 9-0. So you would really expect Manchester City to win that comfortably. Liverpool won a strange game against Tottenham Hotspur 2-1. Tottenham scored in the second minute, and while Liverpool dominated possession and chances, they did not equalise until the second half. And in fact, with the score 1-0, Tottenham's son hit the crossbar. So it could have been 2-0 to Tottenham. But in the end, Liverpool won 2-1 with what you might call a very African penalty. When Senegal's Sadio Mane was fouled by the Ivorian Serge Aurier before the Egyptian Mo Salah scored the penalty. And incidentally, Steve, this was the 23rd penalty in Premier League games between Liverpool and Tottenham, and that game has produced more penalties than any other. So this weekend, we have Liverpool away to Aston Villa before that intriguing fixture on Sunday, the 10th of November, Liverpool at home to Manchester City. Yes, looking forward to that and more on that game on next week's show. So we already mentioned the VAR in that Arsenal-Crystal Palace game and uh, Stuart, the video assistant referee, continues to be such a talking point. Yes, um, it certainly does. And I mean, recently we've had a couple of really farcical situations where we had Chelsea's Callum Hudson-Odoi awarded a penalty then VAR deciding actually he had dived and giving him a yellow card instead. And on the other hand, Wilfred Zaha uh, initially booked for a dive and then having a penalty awarded to him. So, I mean, that is a, just a bizarre situation. But there is increasing pressure from clubs for referees to use the pitch side monitor instead of simply accepting the VAR overrule. The screen, we are told, is for situations when the ref is told something by VAR that does not seem consistent with what he has seen. But at present, referees rarely do that. Incidentally, someone has just produced a league table of the Premier League saying, what would it be like without VAR? And Crystal Palace are currently the biggest winners. Um, They would be eight places further down the table without VAR. And Wolves, on the other hand, the biggest losers, who would be six places further up if VAR had not gone against them. And, I mean, an interesting incident in the Norwich-Manchester United game where VAR overruled the referee to award two penalties. And afterwards, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer was very honest and said he didn't think the first one was a penalty, but then went on to say that the goalkeeper was off his line in both penalty saves and he wondered why VAR hadn't spotted that. Hmm. And, you know, Steve, I've been watching the Rugby World Cup and I was intrigued in England's semi-final to see two scores awarded by the referee, then overruled by the television match official, as VAR is called. So it's sort of reassuring to know that it's not just football where this is happening. But one big difference with rugby is that the conversation between the referee and VAR is broadcast and the incident is replayed on the big screen so that spectators know what was happening, which, of course, is one of the criticisms in football, that spectators have really no idea what has been checked. You know, Steve, there was an even stranger intervention by VAR in Germany in a game between Holstein Kiel and Bochum. A substitute for Holstein Kiel was warming up behind the goal. His name was Michael Eberwein. And a Bochum forward shot and the ball was going wide. And helpfully, Eberwein kicked the ball 
back onto the pitch. But VAR spotted that he had touched the ball before it crossed the line, prompting the referee to show him a yellow card and award a penalty. Because the laws of the game say, and I didn't know this, that if a substitute interferes with play, the referee can take appropriate disciplinary action and award a free kicker a penalty. Ironically, poor old Ebervine has yet to play for Holstein, and this was his first touch of the ball in a Holstein Kiel shirt. And he conceded a penalty and got a yellow card, and he hasn't even been on the pitch yet. The moral of the story, VAR is watching you always. (laughs) That is an amazing story. And what else have you got for us, Stuart? In the Manchester United-Norwich game, goalkeeper Tim Crowe, from Norwich saved two penalties. And you may recall the 2014 World Cup game Netherlands against Costa Rica went to a penalty shootout and Van Hal substituted his goalkeeper and brought Krull on and he saved two penalties in that game as well. So he's a bit of a penalty saving expert. Finally, one of the unique features of English football is the number of fans who travel to watch their team away from home. And last weekend... 240 Gillingham supporters made an 800-kilometre round trip to see their team beat Accrington Stanley in League One. That's commitment. Well, wonderful away supporters. That's part of what makes football such a special game. Thanks a lot, Stuart. Well, that's it for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Ida Waringa in Nairobi, and from Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.